Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hashilai, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven, the word of God. Please be seated. We're beginning this fantastic new series, and it's going to run right on into September. And it's the, the book of Nehemiah. I, I'm a fan of Nehemiah. I, I think some people like to do series on Nehemiah because of his leadership skills. But I like Nehemiah because he's an everyday person. He's not uh, Ezra, his, his, his counter friend who would create one book. He's, he's not uh, Zerubbabel. He's not a, a prophet. He's not a leader. He's a cupbearer. I mean, his job is to taste wine. Somebody say amen. Adventists, y'all got nervous and be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't even have a good Adventist job, people. What does his mom and, and other moms, if they were Adventists, say to each other? Hey, how are you doing? Hey, have you heard of my son Ezra? Yeah, he's a prophet. Yeah, he is. How about your son, Nehemiah? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. He, he works for a foreign government somewhere. What does he do? He pushes papers. I mean, Nehemiah, he, he's not like some major figure. He's not Elijah. He's not Moses. He's a cupbearer. And we know that he probably doesn't have very many military skills because he's so close to the king that they, would, they wouldn't want that near, near the king. Right? They have to protect the king. And so he's, he's not this, like, shiny object. He doesn't have these big skills. He's just like you and I. And so we're going to travel this next seven weeks together. The pastors and um, all of our speakers are going to go through this book together and see what this post-exilic community can teach us about community as well in our church today. Now, I want to talk about the return, a process of caring. Now, this is important. Like, the way we begin to care and get involved in things is because something about that person or that thing or that event all of a sudden is related to us. Somehow we've opened ourselves to it and it's become connected to us so that what happens there matters to us where we are. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where prior to an event or prior to something, you didn't care much about that thing, but then all of a sudden, you find yourself that you're invested in something because you somehow got connected. That's the way it was for me with children. Parents, are you with me? Like pre-parental days, I judged parents all the time. Why wouldn't you get your kids in order? How come they're crazy? Why is it always dirty under your restaurant table? Why, can't, why don't you be parenting correctly? And then I got kids, and it was like, I am so sorry for the judgment. My daughter, when she came into kindergarten, first year in kindergarten, was down in the L.A. area, um, 
And the first week, the first week, I thought, I'm finally going to be freed of my children. I'm going to put them in school, and, and now I'm going to have eight hours of, of time. First week, teacher, she texts me. She's a good friend of mine. She says, hey, hey, pastor, I just want to let you know, your daughter wants to write a little letter to one other student boy. Wait, what? This is kindergarten. This is not, she's not a teenager. She's five. What are you talking about, write a boy? What boy? Who boy? Where, where's this boy? She's like, yeah, she wants to like, she asked me how to write I love you. No, she didn't. <laughs> For real? Yeah, so I, I, you know what? I, 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 I um, convinced her to say I like you. He's a second grader. What in the world? What kind of old man is picking up on my daughter? Cradle robbing two-year-old grown man, right? So guess what? I got super involved in the school because all of a sudden, it mattered to me. Nehemiah is in a space where something matters to him deeply. He finds that he is related to this community. You see, we live in a very individualized world, right? We're very separated. You know, our, our individualism is strong. It's important for us to, sometimes we say things like, we got to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, or I deserve this. I've, we have this mentality about us. So when we try to do community, it's difficult because when we do community, it's no longer me and myself, but us together. Now, Nehemiah is in a space where he is together with the people, though they may be distant from him. They're, they're quite a ways away. Though he's working in a foreign government, he's doing well for himself. Individually, Nehemiah has a ton of rights. Let's set up where Nehemiah is in the Old Testament chronological history um, so that we're clear. And this is kind of what it looks like, right? So if you're looking at the Old Testament, it kind of breaks down like this. is the patriarch, time of the patriarch, then there was slavery, and then the exodus and conquering, and then there's kings, and then exile and return. In the patriarchs, you know, you've got Abraham and Isaac. And, you know, this is the Genesis. And then at the end of Genesis, just as it transitions into exodus, we've got the slavery. Remember that? After Joseph, they grew, they got enslaved, and then there was the huge exodus that happened. And the people began to leave, and they started conquering the space they needed to go into, Joshua. This begins to unfold the history of the judges. This is where we see Deborah, and we see Samson, and these stories, they come up. And so they, they, they had these judges, but then at some point, the, the people say, we don't want just, we want to have a king like everyone else. And so then the, then the time transitions, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Chronicles. This is where the kings uh, start to, to come up, Saul, and then David and then Solomon and then we know exceedingly after that things just kept getting excessively worse because any time any human being begins to get power we don't know how to use it correctly and so what happens the prophets are now popping up you see Isaiah you see the minor prophets Micah Amos the kingdoms have split. You've got two kingdoms now, the northern, and, and then you've got Judah, and, 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 and the northern kingdoms get, get swept away and, uh, in their situation, and then we see them later on as Samaritans, but then you've got this group who gets pulled into exile, and then, so in that, in that time of exile, we, we see the books of Daniel, Esther, Jeremiah, and then 
70 years of exile, there's a return. And this is the book of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, which was, up until more recent times, one book. And so we're looking at Nehemiah, which means, keep in context, that means Nehemiah has experienced the majority of all the stories that we share in the Old Testament, from the, the mythos of the Genesis uh, beginnings and uh, from the, the books of the law, you know, for, from the, the journey through the wilderness, through the, the kingdoms, the, the prophets, and the prophets have spoken. And now on the other side of that, we hear Nehemiah and he's pleading with God because he hears what happens to his people in a far and off place. And no matter how far they are, no matter how much he's made for himself, he still feels connected. Verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before God of heaven. He didn't have to. His situation was good. He was stable. He was in a good place, but because he was connected to the community, because he was invested, he felt the pain. He was there. And so we hear Nehemiah in chapter 1, verse 5 through 11, we hear his full prayer. You're welcome to read the full prayer. I'm just going to share a couple verses here so that you and I are on the same page about how Nehemiah is feeling, right? Chapter 1, verse 5. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Notice in his prayer, Nehemiah does not say them and theirs and their issues. God, I want to pray for them over there. God, they sinned against you. God, they failed. No, in his, in his prayer to God, he uses first person plural, we I failed. My family failed. We have committed this sin. We have offended you deeply. Because to Nehemiah, it is us, the community, that thrives and that fails together. Now, that's kind of foreign for us here in our modern times. Because when someone fails, we often are like, they failed. I did okay. But in this communal setting, this biblical communal setting, we were called to take up for each other. He's repenting and confessing for the people, even though he isn't really a part of that. Um, Pastor Devo. I love Pastor Devo. Don't you all love the Pastor Devo? Man, that guy can preach. I, I, I love, I, we've got a great pastoral staff, and um, Pastor Devo was preaching last week. I don't know if you were here. I wanted to give you a quick reel of Pastor Devo. This is him in action. Look at him. If you haven't if seen him before, he looks like the guy coaching soccer uh, on the stage when he preaches. Look at him go. Goal. Hey, this is Pastor Devo. Ah! 
even bigger goal, uh, thumbs up. This is Pastor Devo, and one of the things that he shared last week, and I just, it, just, it just, for me, was beautiful. He said that the commandments when God gave them were given, to, it was about having a good life. It was about honoring God and honoring others. This is what it meant to follow God's commandments. Not just to, to, to honor one way, but to honor one way and the other way. It is to honor God and to honor others. Well, the prophets had a problem uh, with the people because while they were honoring God with their worship behavior and their ritualistic traditions, they were not honoring others. While they were caring for how they were going to bless and worship God, they were taking advantage of the weak and the foreigner and the orphans and the widows. And that doing that does not honor the neighbor, hence it does not honor God. Isaiah, in fact, this is how Isaiah puts it, chapter 1, right off the back. Isaiah begins to write, I'm going to pick up at verse 10 going on. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all of my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make your hands clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are white, red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So when Nehemiah is in deep prayer and contrition about uh, breaking the covenant, about breaking the commands, what Nehemiah is talking about is the command to care for other people. The command to care for our orphans and for our fatherless, for those who are the weakest of us. Micah chapter 6, we love Micah chapter 6 verse 8. But this is Micah chapter 6, and it's enveloped around the other pieces of Scripture that talks about the need for us to take care of people. So I'm just going to read a little bit of it. I'm going to start off right in Micah chapter 6. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak king of Moab plotted and what Balaam son of Beor answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and how bow, and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? 
Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my blood, for the sins of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So when we hear Nehemiah in his prayer, in his confession, in his repenting, when he says that his people, that he, that we broke covenant and that we failed, what he is talking about is not that they failed to worship God, but that they failed to care for people. Not that they failed to have a worship service, but they failed to live worshipful lives. We weren't meant to just come together and have a good church service. Although good church service is good, right, church? We were meant to live worshipful lives, to not just consider me and, 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 and my needs and my entitlement. We, we were meant to consider each other and consider what we're going through. So when Nehemiah is speaking here, when he's sharing his context and when he's praying and when he's, when he's confessing, what he is doing is he is himself being invested in the community and saying, I am also responsible for the wall. I am responsible for the gate. I am responsible for the brokenness in the world. And I will be part of the responsibility of pulling it back together. Church, we all need to be responsible for building our local faith community. Let the church say amen. You and I are part of that. Not just Pastor Icky. And by the way, thank you all. You all have been so loving to me since I got here. Man, I mean, I have so much love. Sister Teresa brought us, me and Pastor Ben over to like the sewing club, by the way. Sewing club's pretty awesome. And she made me a pillow that says Pastor Ricky. So now whenever I wake up, I remember who I am. <laughs> I'm not an answer to prayer, by the way. Don't wait to see what Pastor Icky is going to do for you. This is your church. This is our community. God has called each of us, the everyday person, to get up and make a change for the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? amen. This is our task, church. Don't wait. Oh, you know what? If Pastor Ricky does this, I'm going that way. If Pastor Ricky does this, then I'll come. No, this is our church. God has called us to be the most loving agents in the world. And if we are not doing that, then we are failing at being the faith community God has called us to. But I believe God has called us here, like he's called Nehemiah, a royal cupbearer. He was a long way from Jerusalem. He himself was doing good and fine. He didn't have to be accountable to anybody. If he wanted to have a privatized faith, no problem. They were the ones responsible for the broken wall. But Nehemiah was broken over the situation because he was invested, because they were a part of him. Church, you don't just get to come here and sit and enjoy a sermon or enjoy some worship or get a prayer. You are intimately a part of everything that happens here. You and I Together, this was Nehemiah. 
He saw uh, the, the, the pain that his people were going through. He was aware of others. His prayer was not self-absorbed about him or what he wanted from the situation. It wasn't about what he needed for God to do. And sometimes, if I can be honest as Christians, we do these prayers, right, where we give God ultimatums. God, you need to, do, God, you need to show up in my life. If you don't show up in my life, God, I just dot, dot, dot. Well, I don't know if I could follow you. You haven't done this for me. You haven't done that for me. And and when we do that, we have a misunderstanding of God. If God answered our prayer according to our specific articulations, is God God or are we God? God is God and still remains God even when our prayers are not answered the way we want them to be answered. Nehemiah is in prayer. Nehemiah is in it. It is his people. It is we who sinned. It is we who repent. It is we who failed. So you and I, the story of this post-exilic group and Nehemiah, it's our story because this is our community that we all need everyone to lean in on to change for the better. Turn to someone right now and say, I need you. Turn to someone else and say, I need you. If you haven't heard this, I need you. I need ping pong on Mondays with Bart, who humbly, gently smashes me into the ground every Monday. I need a pillow from Teresa and the ladies. I need the knitting crew from here. I need to hear words of affirmation and accountability from my friends, from the families that come here who who, who text me, who call me. I need you. And you need me. You need me when you need a prayer. You need me when you don't know who else to call. You need me. We need each other. So Nehemiah prays. He prays with conviction and contrition and commitment and change as a part of a prayer process for the community uh, found in the Healing of Broken Humanity book. This is a prayer, not just our personal prayer, just for me, but it's it's a communal prayer for all of us. We need each other. Um... Has anyone heard of a Tough Mudder? Have you heard of a Tough Mudder before? Anyone? Yeah. It's not a cereal. It's not chocolate. <laughs> so I, 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 I like to do fun things. I, I, I love getting into new and fun, exciting, adventurous things. Um, and for a season in my life, we did a lot of Tough Mudders. We probably did one once a year. And uh, so... This is our crew, and every, every year I get a crew, and I get some of my guys, I get some of my girls, and we go out. And you do about 13, they don't tell you exactly, 13 to 400 miles. It's somewhere in there, right? <laughs> it's an estimate of some sort. And they have like terrain that you have to run through, and then you get to a spot, and you go through an obstacle. 
Now, they had this thing called the Spartan Run. The Spartan Run is more individualistic. You have to do it yourself. You know, if you mess up, you got to get down and do burpees. For the Tough Mudder, it's a team thing. So when you get to an obstacle, you help all of your teammates. And if there's other people who might be struggling along the way because they came by themselves, you help them too. So you might be stuck in a situation for a while just helping people get to the other side. The person on the, on the right there, he's, he's the, the tall, slender-looking fellow, is my brother-in-law, Chris Mack. What a beautiful man he is. I'm in love with him. He gave me two gorgeous nephews who are talented. He married my sister, and now she's the master of his universe. Praise the Lord. Uh, my brother-in-law and I have known each other for decades, all the way back into high school, all the way back into high school. Our, our academies played sports against each other. Our academies did choir battles against each other because that's what Adventists do. We choir battle. And for as long as I've known my brother-in-law, he's, just, he's a gifted human being. Naturally talented, very, very athletic, can sing in any key you need him to sing in. If you need a soprano, he's your soprano. If you need a bass, he's your bass has a competitive spirit, but always gracious. Loves to win, but great sportsmanship. And so I told him, I said, hey, let's go for, let's go for a Tough Mudder. It's, it's, it's like maybe 13 miles. It could be maybe 300 miles. He said, he said, what? I said, yeah, let's do it. And he said, okay, let's go. I'm ready. Who's going? And I said, well, these guys are going and this girl. And he says, well, you know what? I'm going to be the first one to come in. I said, hey, oh, that's fine. You don't have to be, but that's fine. He said, no, I will. No, don't worry. You guys have to catch me, because he's 6'6". Six, six. So like one of his steps is like seven for everyone else, right? We're going and we're getting over obstacles and he's doing fantastic, he's, he's great. But it was a really hot day and there wasn't enough, he didn't drink enough water. Because if it's one thing that's my brother-in-law's kryptonite, it's water. He won't drink it. He'll drink Crystal Light, because he believes in me. He'll drink Gatorade. He'll drink Dr. Pepper, but that water is a tricky one for him. He just, he's allergic to it. His, his mouth gets all quivery. He can't drink the water. He didn't drink enough water. Mile, ten and a half. We're going, and we're going, and we're going, and I noticed that he's starting to slow down. He started cramping up, and he had a bad knee. And so I turned and said, hey, man, you going to be all right? He's like, no, I got this. I got this. You know, he's, come on, I got this. I said, no, you're, it doesn't look like you got this. I said, you gonna be okay? He's like, I'm fine, let's go, let's go. Mile 11, he's a little bit distant, but we're staying close. And then he says, just go on without me. I'll be fine. This thing, it's no problem. And this thing, I think half of his leg was missing at that point. It was like, like the, I don't know where that other leg went. I'll be fine, go on without me. Uh, yeah, 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 you guys enjoy your time. You know, my, my brother-in-law likes to keep time. You know, he, he likes to finish, the, uh, and I'm different. I, I just like to be there with everybody. Like, I don't have to win anything. I, if you're smiling and you're enjoying yourself, you can beat the mess out of me. I'm okay with that. And so I turned, I said, no, 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 we got this. He's like, no, go on. Just, just leave me behind. I'm like, this is not a real war, bro. We, we can be here all day, don't worry. No, 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 go on, go on, go on. And a part of my spirit was like, leave the brother behind. He's messing up your time. And I had to be like, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan was like, leave him. You just go ahead, Icky, you don't need the brother. Listen, your sister will find somebody else. We'll raise the children, okay? 
Just go. You can do this, Icky. Run, brother. I said, no, get thee behind me, Satan. We stayed together. And as we crossed the finish line, we got our arms around each other tight. We're holding each other through this, right? And some of us were really fit. And then it was me who wasn't. But we made this terrain, these obstacles that seem impossible alone, and we did it together. Life isn't meant for us to live it by ourselves. You weren't meant to be some superhero. You don't have to let people go on without you. We will wait and cross the finish line together. I don't know if in your story of your spiritual life, maybe you're saying, I don't know if I need a church or faith community, right? Like, I've been burned before by a church. I, maybe I just watch from home. I can just watch this at home. It's just as good. No. Come here where we can be together. Or maybe you're feeling like your spiritual life is spry and good and you're spiritually healthy and you know what? Their problem is their problem. No. We're in this together. The finish line waits for us. And as the great proverb says, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go long, you go together. Nehemiah, though he could have separated himself from the rest of the community, he's invested. That's his people. And so he weeps. May we weep together. May we struggle together. May we confess together. May we commit together. And then may we cross the finish line together.